Good morning, Liberty Lake Church. Welcome. <laughs> you all want to stand with us and come in from the foyer, and there's so much space out here, you can move up. <laughs> so, but we are going to get started with some singing. sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word just to rest upon his promise just to know the saith the Lord Jesus Jesus Take a seat, and we have announcements.
right. Good morning. Um, welcome. My name is Aaron Brown. Kind of a good news, bad news situation, or bad news, good news. I'm not Don Anderson. So, and I don't have any, I didn't come prepared for any good, funny, hilarious jokes either. So, so bear with me. Uh, communication cards. If you have any prayer requests or questions, please fill one out. Uh, drop it in the offering box in the back as you go out the door. You can also use the app or the website, and the communication cards are in the back seat um, in front of you. Ladies, ice cream social tomorrow, which is Monday, I think. At 6.30 p.m., it says bring your favorite topping and a friend. Doesn't have to be your favorite friend, just a friend, right? So just bring a friend and favorite topping. Uh, family prayer, Tuesday, uh, August 24th at 5.30 here at the church. Um, show up. Pray with your family, pray with the church. Um, I've never personally been, but maybe I'll show up. We'll see. Uh, Kids Rock, something near and dear to my heart. I'm going to spend a few minutes on this one, so bear with me. They need volunteers downstairs to help with the kids. Trust me, if I can do it, if Don can do it, anybody can do it. You don't have to know a lot about the Bible if you're sitting there. The kids don't care what you know about the Bible. You just have to have a love for Jesus, a love for God, and love for kids. All right? They just want you down there to volunteer to help them. The curriculum's there. It's pretty straightforward. It's fun, all right? Like I said, you don't have to be a scholar of, of the Bible. Just show up, teach the kids, and move on. Um, don't want to scare you, but uh, currently for the fall, we don't have enough volunteers, so the kids may have to stay up here. That's a scary thought, right? You have to put up with Shane and the kids. So <laughs> pick your poison. We need volunteers downstairs. If you, if you want to help, uh, see Elise, see myself, see Shane, see somebody in the church. We can get you up if you don't know who Elise is. Um, also, if you're currently volunteering in Kids Rock, just let them know if you want to continue. Hopefully, you are a volunteer and you want to continue. So, um, that's it. Shane, come on up. Thanks, Aaron. That was pretty funny. I'm, it's not bad. Uh, uh, one of the things that we try to do uh, is uh, celebrate our graduates, and this year we have one. Jonathan, would you come on up here? Um, most of you that have been for, here for a while will know Jonathan. If you're new to the church, he may look like a stranger. He comes and visits. I don't know. How often are you here with us now? Mm, okay. And so <laughs> that would explain. No, Jonathan, he, he actually visits here uh, during the summer. You've come up for summer camp. You came up and played with me uh, at summer camp this last year uh, for high school camp. And you live in Texas part of the time. And then you come up and visit with your mom and us up here the other part of the time. Yes. So, Jonathan, this, uh, what are you doing after, what are you doing next? Like, you're done with high school, what's, what are your plans? Do you have any plans? Well, I have a contracting business, business with my family, and that's what I'm doing right now. Very good. You building stuff? Well, uh, mainly, uh, mainly just painting and, and electrical, that kind of stuff, residential repairs and commercial. Very nice. That'll keep you busy. That's good. We need, yeah. we need contractors doing those things. Well, this is the Bible that we give out to all of our graduates. It's called the Jesus-Centered Bible. And the thing I love about this is that it highlights all of the Old Testament references uh, of Christ in blue. So when you open this up, you'll actually see everything that refers to the, uh, the Messianic uh, promise, prophecy, fulfillment of Jesus in the Old Testament. And so it helps ties all, it ties all of the Old Testament and New Testament together, together very, very well. So I absolutely love this thing. And that one is yours. Let me pray for you, and then we'll send you off since you're going to be going and, and working and uh, following the Lord uh, in this next phase of your life. Yes. 
Father, thank you for Jonathan. Thank you for uh, Dawn and, and the privilege that we have to know them and to be part of their lives. Lord, I just pray as, as Jonathan continues and, and moves into the working phase of his life as he heads into construction, Lord, that he would keep his eyes centered on you. And that, Lord Jesus, you would be the center, the foundation, the very, the very setting of all things that he does, Father, that, that you would take them through your presence, through the knowledge of you, through a relationship with you. So that whether he's building or painting or, or fixing electrical, God, he can do it to your glory and for your purposes. So we just give him into your hand and ask that you would guide and direct him and that you would uh, lead him in the next few days and months as he uh, engages in a work career, uh, Lord, that could be a lifetime career. Uh, and so we just ask that you would give him your wisdom and your direction in your name. Amen. All right. Thanks, sir. You want to stand with us as we continue with our music. With the correct song. Should be who I who you say I am. Other side of you. <laughs> no. That would make a lot of sense. There we go.
Let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light. Darkness tries to hide, trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. How
take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and So 
take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. May that be our prayer. Amen. Kids, you are dismissed. You can follow teachers down, and the rest can take a seat. Good morning. I think I'm going to get the elders together and we're going to pray over this section of the sanctuary. <laughs> Not sure what it is. It is intimidating. <clears throat> uh, I don't know about you guys. I, I hope you're not all incredibly distracted this morning. Um, I, I, was, I found myself a little convicted uh, about where I'm at in life, and I'm not going to take too long because this passage. We're going to try and get through uh, Jeremiah chapter 23 today, and uh, which means we're going to do a bit of an overview. Uh, but I want to encourage you, uh, if, if you have been like me and, and somewhat distracted by this week and by the activities of politics and medical and all that stuff this week, I, I really want to challenge you. Um, I noticed that I've had more conversations about what Governor Inslee might say or what the CDC might say than I have had about what God might say this morning. And I just was very convicted about that as I came, going, where is our focus? Where's my focus? I'm trying to prepare a sermon, and, and yet, you know, we have all of this dialogue, all this discussion that's happening. So I want to encourage you, wherever you're at, whatever situation you're in in life, um, wherever you may be concerned about, I want to challenge you this morning to put that on whatever altar it belongs on and to put God at the forefront of our time this morning. What is it that the Lord might say to us this morning? And let's, let's turn our eyes and our hearts there. Uh, the elders do not have any statements to make at this point because I don't speak for the elders, so I do not make declarations until I've actually spoken with them. Uh, and so uh, we will probably get together on Tuesday and discuss said topics of the week uh, and, and address whatever needs to be addressed when we get to that point. Um, but as of this morning, uh, my hope is that you will be like me and come to the conclusion that we're here to hear from the Lord. And um, I love, I just, I love how God does this. Um, we're going to read a passage. It's actually in chapter twenty-three. I think that will help set our hearts. And it was, it was as I was wrestling with that text that I became convicted of where my focus was at this week. So as we get into this, my 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 joyful hope is that you will experience the same. Uh, conviction and the same uh, uh, um, exaltation of who God is uh, that I got to do this week as I prepared. So uh, we're going to look at two sections. Uh, we won't look at every passage, every verse in Jeremiah 23 this morning, but we're going we're gonna to get through part of it. So uh, my illustration, that was, that was free. That was, that was not the cost of admission. That was, that was a separate thing. Uh, my illustration this morning, have you guys ever noticed that in your life that you have to be very, very careful with the things that people are trying to sell you? Have you, have you ever noticed that? Uh, we were having this discussion, actually. It was really cool. It was over a Lunchable. 
we were we we uh, this morning there was a lunchable or some snack brought out and the comment was made, hey look they stuffed something underneath of it to make it look more full, because they've they've reduced the volume of material that they're putting in the same size packages that they're charging you more for. Wait, why do we buy that? I have you I've I've been guilty of it because if they're onto things that I really like, I'm like ooh I need that. And yet when they're selling you the, that stuff, we talked about it last week, right, with Carl's Jr. and, and kind of how the, the, the bait and switch scenario. I thought it was interesting as I was going through the text and that illustration came up. This morning we're going to talk about the lying prophets and bad shepherds. God's going to actually give us a contrast today of what his plan for Israel was and what Israel was choosing or what Judah was choosing to believe. Uh, and I, I just I find it very interesting in all the commercials um, especially, you know, around hot rods and uh, anything that they're trying to sell a massive amount around. If you own this particular thing, you get this pretty girl will be interested in you. If you eat this particular food, you'll look like this beautiful person. And yet uh, Mark, Gu- uh, Mark Gunger actually brought it out that uh, somewhere around 90 percent, 90 plus percent of all of those pictures are airbrushed which what it means is those people don't look like those people. They actually have to carve out stomachs and get rid of flab from the bottom of arms and little pieces of their bodies that aren't perfect for the Photoshop. They actually Photoshop them. So even when we look at those pictures and we look at those procedures, they're not actually true. And we're going to see that there's times where uh, in the life of Judah, in the life of Israel, God's Leaders, those who were supposed to be leading Israel, were the frauds and doing great damage. And that's the text that we're in today. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 23. We're just going to open with verses 1 through 8. We're going to look at those specifically today for a little bit. Um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go to the conclusion at the end of 23. Jeremiah 23 verse 1 says this, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought us up, or who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. The the first part that we see is that that, uh, the Lord is actually confronting Israel. He's confronting these bad shepherds. 
these shepherds who are lying and, and who are, who are uh, uh, scattering the sheep and destroying them. They're actually mistreating them. And, and we, actually, we see other passages where he's going to talk about um, the, the lying shepherds as well, or the, the lying prophets. <clears throat> he picks those up in verse 9, and you can, as we, we, we won't see all of the passages because I won't have enough time to get through all of them. But in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 25, you'll see this. Says this, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have a dream, I have a dream. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal? Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream. Let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? The issue that we see with the prophets is that they were lying, lying for their own gain, lying uh, because they weren't actually coming from the Lord. Uh, the Lord actually speaks of that in other places in chapter 23. He says that they went when I didn't send them. They said what I never told them. They are lying, and they're, they're being deceptive, and they're they're being used by the enemy to deceive. In fact, in one of the passages, it actually says uh, that, that he, uh, the prophets are telling them, hey, uh, these promises of God are still for you, that God's going to protect you, that God's going to do all these things. And the Lord says, even those who despise my word, they're promising them that they'll be protected. And so they're using the promises of God to the nation of Israel for obedience, and they're saying, even in your disobedience, you'll be fine. And the people are believing them. And aren't we kind of like that? The Lord says that we should be people of truth. And we don't lie. But why is it so shocking to people at stores when one of us takes back too much money? Why are they blown away? Why is it that when Christians tip well and behave on Sunday and treat restaurant staff with graciousness and kindness, they go, wow, you're way better than the other church. And it's a surprise to them. Why is that? <laughs> Let's not talk about speeding. Why is that? Why is it that we each have things in our own lives where, yes, we, we are completely in agreement with God's words over here, but when we see these other things, we, somehow we're able to justify our slight deviance from that truth. I think it's in the heart of men, and it's part of the culture that, that the sinful heart fights with us against, against the Lord's Word and against His truth and His principles. And the problem is that the lies are so easily, they're just deceptive, and they're easy to believe. And, and uh, e even when... Uh, e <laughs> I think even when we start telling them, there's a point at which if you if you have to continue a lie, you begin to believe it yourself. Um, you know, as a young man, uh, I was uh, I wouldn't say I was great at lying, but I tried to master it because I wanted to do things that my parents didn't think I should be doing. I may have shared this story with you, but bear with me if I have, because it's the perfect illustration of how 
of, of part of our text here, but there was a particular Sunday after youth group that my brother and I were supposed to be heading straight home because we had to do hay that night. Well, the girl that I liked and a bunch of my friends from youth group were going to Burgerville, which was a little hamburger joint, and we're gonna, you go there and you buy a soda, you sit and talk for an hour, or if you're really irresponsible, two hours, and then you drive home and get in trouble if you're in my family. And so we happened to be having this discussion over the CB that my brother and I had. And I'm, you know, I'm like, hey, I want to go to here. And he's like, hey, we're going to get in trouble. Of course, he had to play the goody two-shoes that day. Um, normally, he would have been getting in trouble with me, but he was behaving. Anyway, somehow, by God's grace, and if you know CBs, they, they, they make a certain distance. But every now and then, if the weather's just right and there's no obst- obstructions between the two points, you can actually bounce a signal way farther than what you would normally do. That's how radio waves work. Well, it just so happened that on that particular day, at that particular spot in the Burgerville parking lot, my mother could hear our conversation over the CB radio that we had at our house because we had that for driving around up in the woods. And so my mom's listening to our conversation as I'm debating with my brother about the legitimacy of, of being 16 and not needing to, or he was 16, I would have been 17, almost 18. I'm like, I don't need to go home. I can do what I want. Some of you are making faces like that was a bad thing to do. Here's the problem. My mom knows my heart in that stuff, and my mom knew that uh, I could tend to try to wiggle out of things. And so when I got home, she asked what we were doing. You guys wonder what I said? So I started to try and spin the line that somehow it was necessary for us to spend time with these people of godly character. Using God language to try and make sure that I could get out of trouble. And here in the text, we actually see the prophets and the shepherds using God language, God promises to lie to Israel, and Israel's accepting it. Or Judah, sorry, Judah's accepting this, and they're 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 making those turns. And what does what does Jeremiah say that the that the the uh, shepherds were doing? The bad shepherds were doing. We saw it. They said that they were de- that they destroyed and scattered the sheep of his pasture. He scattered the flocks and driven them away. I thought it was interesting in verse 3, you also see that he, he actually says in verse 3 that I will gather the remnant of flock out of the countries where I have driven them. So you see that the shepherds have driven them away, but God's also saying I've driven them away. And we're watching that because Judah is responding and, and accepting these lies. They're, they're actually involved in this process and guilty of the same thing. In fact, we know that, these, that the shepherds, Jesus specifically talks about shepherds like this in John chapter 10. It's not just an Old Testament issue. This is something I think that we're gonna, we still have to contend with today. And one of the ways that we know him, if you look at John chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 12, we're going to be in John chapter 10 and Jeremiah today. We're going to flip back and forth between those two passages for just a little bit um, because it's such a beautiful thing that Jesus uses, actually uses the term shepherd here, and I believe it's to tie us back to this passage. But John chapter 10, verse 12 
He says, who is a hired hand and not a shepherd? He, we'll, we'll, we'll tie the context here in, in just a minute. Who does not own the sheep sees, or he who is a hired hand and, a, and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And I believe that that's what we're seeing happen, and that's who Jesus is referencing in John chapter 10. It's, it's these bad shepherds, those who care nothing about the flock, and they flee when things get bad. You know, it's one of the challenges that I think we face in our modern culture of hiring pastors, right? If you're hiring a pastor, if you're hiring a professional, then what's to keep them here when things aren't good, when, 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 they're, when we're not popular anymore? Have you guys heard when the honeymoon phase wears off? You guys have heard that, right? We're, we're approaching that quickly. I don't know what the time frame is. I don't know if it's one year, if it's five years. I have no idea where that is anymore or what, what it is. But there's a honeymoon phase where, where when a pastor's hired, everything he says is wonderful. And then there's a season where he's not wonderful anymore. And it's, why do they say honeymoon phase? Because when we first got married, we are like, whoa. I watched it yesterday. I was involved in a wedding, and I watched these two kids. They're getting married. I'm like, this is so wonderful. And yet, part of me wanted to say, hey, just you guys just remember. There's going to be a day where you're not as happy about how she behaves, and you're not as happy about how he's behaving, and, and just want to encourage you. It's going to be okay. But this idea of being a hired hand and leaving, it makes it just a job, right? How many of you guys stay at a job where, where you're not paid well and you're not appreciated and you're always in conflict? Anybody? Hmm. I think that's what's so beautiful in the, the picture of the righteous branch that we actually see is that it, he takes a whole different perspective. And that's the contrast that we're going to watch God do for Judah. He says, here's the leadership Here's, here is the leadership that you've been following. Here are the people that you're following. And, and obviously in this context, which we're not going to address today because God doesn't do it, but just as a note, Jeremiah is not even mentioned in here, yet, and yet he's one of the prophets that was telling the truth. We saw in the, in, through, uh, the 1 through 8, where he, or I'm sorry, actually it was in uh, 24 and 25, um, where he actually says, let the one who has my words speak my words. Let them speak the truth. And we know that Jeremiah was doing that. But there's a difference in this relationship between the bad shepherds and lying prophets and this righteous branch. And I believe that it's intentional. The Lord is trying to contrast that so that the nation of Judah would, would recognize and be aware of what the differences are. Look at Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 3 and 4. He promises that he's going to re uh, that he's going to gather his sheep that the good shepherds are actually going to be part of gathering and restoring the sheep. He says then I will re, uh, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and I will bring them to their fold and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed neither shall any be missing declares the Lord. Here we have this beautiful picture of these shepherds that God's restoring, that he's sending to collect the sheep, to regather them, to put them in their fold, where they'll be fruitful and multiply. And I love what he says. He says, they, will, they, will, they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing. 
Now imagine the context, right? You've got, you've got the, the, the north, Babylonians coming down and bringing this captivity and this battle uh, to them. They've been in fear for years. They've been in constant uh, conflict between with, with the Chaldeans and the Babylonians, and then they're running to Egypt to try and get help, and, and their kings are not honoring the Lord, and there's, so there's all this conflict. And so the people that are trusting the Lord, they're expe- uh, I would, I'm assuming, based on this, that there's fear happening for them, that they're in dismay. We can't identify with that at all, can we? Not like that, I get it. But you know, there are believers at this very moment that can, right? Our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan are experiencing something just like that, where they're in fear for their lives. Not like we fear. We, we, have, we have issues. We have things that we're afraid of, that we're concerned about. But there are literally brothers and sisters in our church in Afghanistan that are hiding because they will be killed if they are found. That's the picture of fear and dismay. What I want to do right now is we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to pray for our brothers and sisters over there. So if you feel led, I want you to speak out right from where you are. Keep, uh, my, prayer, my request is that you keep it fairly short. Um, so that others have a chance to pray as well. But let us, let's us let pray specifically for them. And my, my hope in this, I was encouraged by uh, some of you to say, hey, we need to take some time to do this. And what I wanted to make sure that we did as we pray this morning is to, to really try and understand what they're going through. To put ourselves in the spot where, where a government that had no bounds, that had no, n- no counter to it, and had all the armament was was going around and purging all of the Christians from their country, going through homes and going through records and, and checking with neighbors to find out who the Christians are. What that would be like for us to try and live through here. Let's pray. Lord, as we open it up, Brothers, to pray, God, I I want to ask that you would guide our words and our thoughts. There's part of me that doesn't know what to say. I want to pray for their protection, and and yet, Lord, I I know that um, as we've watched in history that some of our brothers and sisters are going to go home to meet you even today. And from a human perspective, Father, I see that as terrible and tragic. And yet in the eternal view, it is glorious that they will be present with you and that they will be welcomed in. So God, I pray for your will to be done, for your wisdom. And I pray especially, Lord, that you would put a bridle on the evil that is present in our world today, that you would rein it back according to your will and not allow it to run at at, at the pace that it would want to that the enemy would desire to have uh, access to the church in such a way.
Father, as we move forward in the days and weeks to come, as we meet on Tuesday night to pray as a family, Lord, I pray that you would convict our hearts, that you would convict us of our complacency and and our uh, comfort and the the areas in which we um, are so quick to complain about inconveniences. Lord, I pray that you'd convict us where where our faith is weak and, and we live in fear of things that that you are in control of. Help us, Lord, to be faithful as we're watching our brothers and sisters suffer for their faith. I pray that you would cause it uh, to, to bring growth to our own hearts here. Fathers, we have prayed for their safety and we've prayed for your wisdom and your will. God, I pray that you would take every moment, every suffering, every tear that falls, and you would use it for your glory and for your kingdom purposes as only you can do. And we give you the praise, Lord, in your name. Amen. I hadn't really thought about how I was going to come out of that. So how do you how do you how do you redirect and start talking about um, our text again? And I, I think the only the only real way to do it is, is to look at the righteous branch, because that's the hope, right? That's the hope that our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan have and in any other country. It's the hope that we have in the midst of our, of our world issues, of our uh, country state issues, of our personal lives. It's truly this righteous branch that is promised. Jesus himself uses this uh, specific reference of being the good shepherd. Look in John. Chapter 7, verses 11, uh, 7 through 11, and, and we'll pick up 14 and 16 as well. But starting in verse 7 of John chapter 10, it says this, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to steal kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In verse 14, he says again, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own knows me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not in this fold, I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And he continues to talk about his relationship with the Father, but the picture that we see here is, is, is God is contrasting the bad shepherds and the lying prophets. We actually see the good shepherd, this, this picture of the good shepherd, is someone that lays down their life for the sheep, someone that is in such a personal and intimate relationship with the Father that he sacrificially dies for the sheep, that he, that he actually suffers and cares for in such a personal way. And remember that it was in that contrast that we saw verses 12 and 13, that, that he contrasts the hired man who when trouble comes, he runs. He leaves. But this shepherd, the good shepherd, the one that will gather the sheep and that will protect them, Jesus says that, he's that he is that picture. He is the good shepherd. The second part that we see about the righteous branch is that it's literally from the line of David. Look in Jeremiah uh, 23, making sure I'm on the right one. Jeremiah 
Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, uh, by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. This righteous branch that's coming says that he will execute justice. And he will reign on the throne of David. Justice is an important thing to God, right? And I struggle at times because I watch at what's happening in the world and I'm like, Lord, where's the justice? Because I would like his justice now. I don't know if any of you have had the privilege of watching somebody else make a mistake and think to yourself, Lord. No? Okay, good. Because God doesn't always respond to the things that I think he should respond to. And I, I, I remember as a young youth pastor, I had in my mind that this guy was, my, it was a senior guy. And I'm like, Lord, how can you let him do this? You need to show up and bring some discipline. And I am grateful today that God did not act on my value for judgment at that point. I read this pesky little Bible verse that says, how you judge others is how the Lord's going to judge you. That stinks. I'm grateful that he did not do that. But man, I'm, I'm quick to that. And so when we start looking at what God's justice is and what that picture looks like, again, we won't have time to, to uncover all of that, but it's a, it's a spectacular picture of who he is and the fact that he's going to reign and, and execute justice according to his will. Look at Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be, his, uh, shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. That's the picture of this righteous branch. Wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge, the fear of the Lord. His judgments won't happen because of what he sees or the things that he hears, but he'll execute judgment according to the fear of the Lord, the knowledge and the wisdom of God. And I love that this text, in the text, he actually gives the name with which he will be called in Jeremiah. Did you see that? He says, and his name will be called Yahweh is our righteousness, which is, uh, we're pretty sure is a play on Zedekiah's name because King Zedekiah's name actually means my righteousness is in Yahweh. My righteousness is Yahweh. Did King Zedekiah live that way? No. He did not fulfill the, the, the prophetic nature of his name, but instead he went the opposite direction. And 
Yet this coming branch, his name will be Yahweh is our righteousness. We see that fulfilled and actually explained by Paul in Romans chapter 9. Look at Romans chapter 9, verse 30. The text says this, What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and who, uh, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my, heart desires and, uh, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but according to, the, according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Specifically, referencing that Christ fulfills the law and he's righteousness for everyone. The, the Jews, they, struck, they stumbled over this because they saw it as an act of works, not an act of faith. And so they worked harder to try and do the right things. And the result was that they missed it. Paul continues, and, and again, you, you want to go back and read more of the context, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, we pick up, and, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I love the verse before that because it reminds us of who we are. It says, tells us to, to not forget about our calling, how he uses the weak and foolish things to actually confound the wise. And the whole point is that our faith, our justice, our righteousness comes through Christ, not because of anything that we have done. This righteous branch, this promised, prophesied, coming king of Israel would be righteousness not just to, not just to the Jews, but to an, he even says that I've got another, another group. The Jesus is telling in, in John chapter 10, there's others who aren't from this particular branch that I must bring into the fold and they will all be one under me. And I love how the Lord ends this whole process, this whole discussion. And, and again, I don't feel like we'll take the time to unpack it as we, as we should and, and we may spend some more time in it next week. But he asks a question in, chapter, in verse 23 of chapter 23 of Jeremiah. He's going through and he's, he's comparing, contrasting bad shepherds, lying prophets with this righteous branch that's coming. And he's describing what the lying prophets are doing and what the bad shepherds. And he lays out this, this righteous branch and the hope that comes for his arrival in all of these things. And then he says in verse 23 of Jeremiah 23, he says this, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? He actually asks that question. And he says, can a man hide himself in secret places so I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth? Now we have some passages that specifically reference this. Psalm 139, you can mark that down in your Bibles, you can go read that. Can we hide from God? Brothers and sisters, that's a reality of faith, right? 
And yet, where do we do most of our sin? Scripture says we do it in the dark, where nobody can see us, right? Why? Well, it's one of the things I think we're deceived about. When we are tempted by our sin, we get, we get lulled into this thing that nobody can see me. Why is it that sin dwells in the, or grows in the dark? Why is it that the, the, some of the greatest moments of sin for me are in the, in the recess, recesses of my heart where nobody hears about them? I got a great filter. It goes, whoop, and it doesn't come out. Sometimes I don't turn it on quick enough and I get in trouble. Right? Why does that happen? We said, we all did say it, right? Do we all believe it? That God can see us, see all of our sin, He's always present. And yet, when we sin, we tend to try and hide from others because we know we should. We know we shouldn't be doing these things. In the light, we would be ashamed of those things. And yet, the reality is, is that I must just forget that God can see me at that moment? Or because of the desperate desire in my heart to fulfill the fleshly desires of sin, I choose to reject that truth, and I step into sin knowing those things. But the reality is, is that our God is present everywhere. Okay, that should have gotten an amen. I'm just saying. If, if this Creator God who is sending a righteous branch, who's sending a redeemer to restore his children, to draw the sheep back to the fold after discipline because they've been so scattered and so destroyed. If he's doing that and he's calling in us that are not of the the Jewish heritage, if he's calling in another group outside of the branch of Israel that, that we are partakers of, and he says, I fill heaven and earth. You can't hide from me. You can't get away from me. That should be something that causes us to worship God. That should bring some confidence and some hope and some joy. That's how people can actually know the Lord and not live in fear. Because He's present in all times and all things. And He fills heaven and earth. Did God approve of Job's disease? In Job. Did God approve it? I won't say approve of. Well, but I mean, okay, tomato, tomato. Satan said, I can't touch him because you won't let me. And he goes, okay, go ahead. So I, I don't know how much more you can approve than when, than when the Lord says yes. Did God let his, all of his kids die? He allowed it. My point in asking this is when we start talking about trusting an Alpha and Omega, the God of the universe, a God that says, I fill heaven and earth, he says that when my righteous branch arrives, you, there will be no more fear. They will not be dismayed. No one will be lost. Do we trust God that way? Does it reflect in our daily lives? We have brothers and sisters who are making that choice for their very life today. And the reality is, is that there's been Christians that have died for their faith since Christ entered the kingdom and, and since Christ began the church. Men and women have died for their faith 
throughout all the whole generation of mankind since Christ entered and, and made, that, made the church his and conquered sin and death. There have been believers that have died for their faith. We've been protected from that reality. But our faith in that same God should reflect in how we live our day-to-day lives. And my knee hurts really bad today. I haven't complained about it because that would just be silly to complain about it when there's Christians dying for the faith, right? I don't know if you noticed, but I didn't. I barely limped coming up the stage because I'm like, don't let anybody see it. But it hurts like crazy today. Can't get up. Uh, getting up out of a chair just hurts. You know what it reminded me of? God's sovereign. That's what, I was sitting here thinking, I'm going to talk to people about the sovereignty of God, and my knee hurts. Why? Because God made a nervous system that says, hey, dummy, you did dumb things as a kid, and now you're paying for it. But what's the point of this pain? Is it for me to complain about? No. It's actually for me to worship God. Because there's a day where I'm going to be standing in His presence where this doesn't hurt anymore. That's the promise that I have. And when my body begins to fail, when my physical needs begin to become exposed, my act, my my focus should be so much on Jesus. This is a sign of the end for me. Now, that sounds terrible, and I hope you guys understand. I know I'm not even 50 yet. I get it. Some of you are looking at me going, man, what a wimp. I get it. But if, if we don't take the things that we're experiencing in our life and turn them back to God, then can we truly say that we believe he's sovereign and that he fills heaven and earth? Can we truly say that this God of the Bible that we're reading, who actually takes and moves Israel, he separated them out. He drove them out of the nation, out of the land. And did we remember last week he actually said, This is my plan to redeem you. This is my plan for your livelihood. I'm going to drive you out so that I can restore you. And the lying prophets are going, That's not true. Look what it says right here in Scripture. It says, You'll own this land. God promises this will be yours. And those who chose to listen to the lying prophets died because they stayed. My point is, the things that happen in our lives, the experiences that we have in our momentary, in our brief life, should be impacted by the reality of a sovereign God that we have the privilege of reading Scripture. I want to end with uh, Thomas's, or, uh, uh, Stephen's sermon. Not all of it, don't worry. Um, I'm just going to grab the end of it because he, he actually quotes this passage in Isaiah um, that I believe the Lord is referring to. But uh, look in Isaiah, or, uh, uh, Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 44. He says this, Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they disposed of the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet... The Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? 
Did not my hand make all these things? Stephen continues and he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels did not keep it. He specifically references that God does not dwell in buildings. Who can build a house for this God? The perspective that Stephen came to understand was that the God of the Old Testament, the God of the universe, was bigger and greater than anything that he could possibly imagine. In fact, he even confronts the, the, the Pharisees of the day saying, you have killed the prophesied righteous one, even though the message, the law, was delivered as by angels. He says, you received it as through a Holy Spirit, through a spiritual delivery, something that is supernatural. And you still did not accept it. But you rejected that. You continued in the pattern of stiff-necked, stiff uh, uncircumcised in heart and ears uh, that always resist the Holy Spirit. Stephen saw God for who he was. And he willingly gave his life for it. Right after that sermon, phenomenal sermon, they picked up stones and took him outside and stoned Stephen. Is God a God at hand or is he far away? Do you know God is the God that fills the heavens and fills the earth? Do you trust that his provision of a righteous branch is everything you need for this life today? Brothers and sisters, I believe that if we would spend more time asking the Lord what he would have us hear from him today. That we would probably live more joyful, more victorious lives in the midst of a culture that is desperate to see the difference between those who prof profess to know Christ and those who live changed lives. Our culture doesn't need to hear more about the gospel. They need to see the church living the gospel. And that's what we have the privilege of being called to do in our communities and around our homes. What does it look like for us to believe that God, the Father, is present in all our stuff? In a sore knee, in a broke-down car, in a tragic event with our brothers and sisters, across the ocean. We serve a God who's present, cannot be contained. Let's worship him like that. Let's tell about him like that. And I want to encourage you, if that's not who you know, he says, seek me and I will be found. And seek the Lord. Because it's who he's presented himself to be. It's who he's revealed himself to be. And if we have anything from Scripture, we have a history of God's faithfulness to be who he said he was. So let's seek the Lord today. Let's remember our brothers and sisters who are dying for their faith, even as we eat lunch today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the physical reminders that we have that we are here but just for a moment.
but you are forever. And by, Lord, by your hand, we as your children have been given the promise of being heirs, children of God, drawn into your fold, sheep that do not have to fear or be dismayed and the confidence that none will be missing. Father, I pray that we would live that way today in your name. Amen. You want to stand with us? Stand with us as we close out in musical worship.
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. Have a good week. Yeah. Be in prayer. <laughs> <laughs>